Kelly Thomas joined me on this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. She was diagnosed with stage three triple negative invasive ductal carcinoma in January 2018 at the age of 33. Kelly and I talk about her story behind the pink ribbon. We also dive into a conversation about being diagnosed at a young age, AYA support groups, and the concern we both have with those over 40 being kicked out of AYA groups with nowhere to go for support. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. Thank you so much, Kelly, for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your story um, and just how you tell our listeners how you found um, breast cancer. Because you were 33, my guess is you may not have been getting um, mammograms. But so tell us, tell us a little bit about how you found your breast cancer. So um, I was one of those people that always went to the doctor. I was up to date on, you know, going to the gynecologist, the medical doctor, if something seemed off, you know, your doctors tell you to check your breasts for lumps every month, which I did. Did I you was really? At, yes. I yes, am going to say yay for you, first of all, <laughs> because <laughs> the number of people that I actually encounter that do self-breast exams monthly is very small. So good for you. But... I don't think doctors really tell you how to do it. No. They just tell you to do it. And then I think we know, like, do your monthly checks. And it's like, okay. Um, I had no idea you had to check your armpits. Like, that was, like, brand new to me. Like, I didn't find it. I didn't learn that until they were like, uh, you have three lumps in your armpit. And I was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> You're like, I was checking my breasts. Nobody said to check my armpits. Um, you know, so funny story. Um, yeah, I found my, well, I sat on the couch one day and I folded my arms and I found this massive lump and I just, I was so upset with myself because I checked myself in the shower and I never felt anything like nothing. And it felt like I had a golf ball on my left breast and uh, backstory, I was a volunteer for the American Cancer Society at their yearly October walk. And so I did that for like three or four years. And so when I sat down, folded my arms and I found that and I was like, breast cancer. Oh, wow. You know, and I was, you know, your mind just goes there and it just cried and I made my husband feel that. And I'm like, that was never there. And it, like, how does something like that happen? Like, how does it, like, wh- what did I miss? I felt like I did a right. bad job checking myself. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. that we're a little too hard on ourselves sometimes with that yeah. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, realistically, because I could I could easily go back and say, you know, I wasn't doing self-breast exams. Like, shame on me for mm-hmm. not doing them, right? Um, 
I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's so hard. But I think one of the biggest things we have to really get away from is blaming ourselves for mm-hmm. any of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, I just thought like, you know, you feel around in the shower and that's about it. But, um, yeah, I, I do have to say, so I made an appointment with my gynecologist and, um, she's wonderful. She supported me from the beginning and she was like, it could be benign. Uh, um, what do they call those? Uh, you know, the, um, fibroids like yeah she's like it could be a fibroid and you know of course you're on google right (laughs) and so like i start googling and let me tell you i'm so happy that i googled and you probably never gonna hear anyone say i'm so happy i googled (laughs) because google told me breast lumps didn't hurt mine hurt like a mother and it said that young women didn't get breast cancer and it also oh. said, if you don't have it in your family, you got nothing to worry about. And I was like, oh, I'm going three for three. And come to find out all those things are wrong. But, you know, oh my for the time, it made me it made me feel so good. I was like, I got this thing, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, and yeah. I mean, so, and here's the thing is, like, there are so many misconceptions. And I'm glad that it worked out for you, right? Like, um, that it eased your, eased your mind. And that's what I mean by like worked out for you. Like yeah, it, it was yeah. helpful for you. Kind of, right? Um, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the diagnosis part, not so much, but you know, like it, it eased your, your fears. Um, and mm-hmm. maybe that was a good thing for you, you know? Um, but there are so many misconceptions that are out there and shame on Google. If anybody from Google is listening to this, update that information. Yes. Oh my God. The internet is a terrible place. (laughs) I agree. Um, so did she send you immediately without any questions for diagnostic testing? She sent me, I'll never forget walking in. They're like, what are you here for? I said a mammogram. They're like, you look too young to have mammogram. And I'm like, okay, um, here I am. Um, (laughs) where do I go? And you know what? I had like, you know, your, your family tells you like, oh, we don't have breast cancer in our family. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And I felt like in my heart, I was like, you know what? Maybe it will be fine. Maybe it will be nothing. And so I went in like feeling all calm, cool, collect. And as soon as I put that gown on, I was like, oh God, it's, it's, it's happening. And, um, I felt like as soon as they did that mammo, that first image, they just knew. And I started bawling. And you know, like, when you, like, want to cry, but you don't want to cry in front of someone. And so, like, you're trying really, really hard to control from not crying. So I didn't want to cry in front of this tech. And she's taking all these images. And she's calling the doctor. And she looks at me. And she goes, he doesn't like what he's looking at. We have to do this again. And I was like, all right, I hope you don't mind. I just need to explode for a second because this is, like, terrifying. Right. And, um, they, we do the, the scan and she goes, you need to go across the hall to ultrasound. And I said, okay. So I go across hall to ultrasounds and, uh, I meet the tech and then the doctor comes in and they take the wand over my left breast and they go one, two, raise your arm, three, four, five. And I was like, I was like, like, I didn't know I had to check the armpit too. (laughs) Right. But I would also be like, what are we counting? And they were like, feel that? Like, and I was like, yep, I feel all those things. Oh, wow. And the doctor goes, you know, whatever this is, 
um, we got to get rid of it. And if it's breast cancer, don't worry. It's totally treatable these days. My mother had breast cancer twice and she's still alive. And I was like, oh, oh. I'm like, why are we saying the C word already? Like, what is going on? Um, so as soon, literally, as soon as I left that appointment, my phone rang. It was my gynecologist. And she goes, hey, I just heard. Uh, they want to send you for a biopsy like ASAP. So I, some, they knew something was up. They called my doctor immediately. Like when, yeah. <laughs> when they call your doctor that fast, it's, it's not good. And I mean, so I, I feel like if you had five lumps, they were going to, I mean, I don't know. I, I would like to think that, yeah, somebody that has five lumps, they're going to move pretty quickly to find out what that is. Yeah, so I, I think trying to recall it was probably like two something days that I I, I went back and oh, okay, um, day or two I went back and I remember going in the room. I was so so anxious, so anxious because I've never had like a procedure done. Like I never had a yeah. surgery. I never had a stitch sewn Same. on me. I've never had like anything. And I'm like a biopsy. Like oh man. You know, so I remember going in the room before anyone was in there with me and they had the ultrasound image of my largest lump on the screen. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to take a picture of this because I just know like this is something. And um, it wasn't a terrible experience. The doctor was fantastic and was like, oh, let, let me know if you need more numbing on the area. And um yeah, it, 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 the, I think the worst part of this was like having your arm up for the whole time and oh, then yeah. slowly pushing it down. And So did um, they biopsy all five? Um, the, they biopsied the largest one and okay. then they went, I think, I believe they went into the lymph nodes too and they were checking that. Got it. Um, but at the same time, I had a kidney stone, if you believe it. Oh, well, that oh my, sounds fun. That would not leave my body. That just, like, I've had a kidney stone once before, and this bad boy was in there for, like, months. And they're painful. I mean, I've never had them. I'm going to knock on a lot of wood, um, <laughs> but I don't get one because I know my brother has had them, and they've been yeah. horrendous. Um, yeah. Drink your drink your water. Lots of water. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you know, looking back on it, I felt like it was my body's way of saying something else is going on in here, and I am not leaving your body until you find out something's going wrong in your chest. Right. And so at the time, I um, I was a assistant branch manager, and I would it was very hard for me to work because I was in so much pain from this kidney stone. And I remember it was... To find out the results of the biopsy, it was going to be like three or four days or something much longer to everyone else's story. They're finding out like the next day. And I was like, I, I had six days. Yes, I remember it was six days. It was almost a week. Yeah. Um, and so I was at work and I was like, I got to go to the hospital. I'm in so much pain. Like I, I, can't, I can't take this kidney stone anymore. So I go to the hospital by my job and um, they... Uh, they wanted to scan me and they were like, you've had this kidney stone for so long. We want to see where it is, if it's about to drop. And so, um, they scan me and they go, um, doctor comes in the room and they were like, Oh, th that was the day. That was the day I was supposed to find out the results of my biopsy. So uh, doctor comes in the room after the scan and says, 
just want to let you know, we saw a breast lump on your scan um, and gave me this whole pamphlet and was like, don't worry, 80% of breast lumps are benign. And I'm like, um, I was like, oh, I'm like getting a phone call today. And like, so you're like, when you're I, you're a few days behind. Yeah, when I leave, <laughs> I leave the room to get the scan. The funny backstory, the, when I leave the room to get the scan, I come back and I have a missed call from my gynecologist. Oh, she was, she was the one that gave me the news. And so she's like, Hey Kelly, it's me. And, uh, give me a call back. And I was like, Oh great. She sounds fantastic. And I call her and it was like, you have a form of breast cancer. And I was like, what? Like, I was like, believing everyone else. Everyone was like, yeah, you know, you're not going to have, it's not going to be breast cancer. And I was like, what? And she's like, you have a form of breast cancer and you need to see a breast surgeon immediately. And I'm like, uh, am I going to be okay? And she goes, you need to see a breast surgeon immediately. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh my God. And she goes, I hope you don't mind. I already made an appointment with one that I, that I work with at the hospital. And I was like, oh my God. And it's a little scary. I have to say, like, <sighs> that is that is terrifying when they do that because e- was- they did that for me. Um, they had scheduled mine, too. And I was, I was like, a when they found the lump and all of that stuff, I was originally a stage one. And then I had progressed okay. to a stage two before they were able to take it out. But they, okay. they scheduled mine, too. And it was, I will have to tell you that it is very intimidating when they do that. Yeah, it was like, and you know, it's like, I've, I've never done cancer before. And so I was like, oh, people get breast cancer and they're fine and everything's la-di-da, you know? And it was like, no, that's no. And it was like the record scratched and, you know, like you need to get this taken care of. And I remember like walking in my car and like, like writing down all these things and like, like what she's saying is going through one ear and out the other and, and I'm not comprehending anything. And you're and by I'm just yourself. Like writing, are you by yes, yourself? Yes, oh, I was by my myself because I, I, I was I was at work and I went to the hospital. Yeah, and so um, yeah, the doctor comes in and he was like, "Oh, I just want to like, uh, oh no, the nurse comes in. I'll never forget this story for as long as I live." The nurse comes in and she goes, "Did they tell you they saw a lump on your scan?" And I said, "Yeah, I said I just got the call that I have breast cancer." And the nurse comes in and she jumps in the bed with me. And she grabs my hands and she's like, I had stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma stage four. That's the end. And you see me, you see where I am. I'm here with you. And she gave me her phone number and I wish I called her, but I never did. But I'll never forget. Like I was laying in this bed, like with with the IV drip and like I, you know, like I've got this kidney stone and now I have this breast cancer and this sweet, sweet nurse just, you know, jumped in bed with me and just comforted me. And it was like, I'll never forget that. Yeah. Those are the people we need. For yes. sure. Like, like those are the people More like, of them. she was born to be a nurse. Yeah. Like it's always great when you come across those people. Yeah. But, um, That's yeah, awesome. I, yeah, I, I'm like, I guess I drive home now, you know, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> like uh, today's been a, a whirlwind of a day. Um, yeah. And you know, my family was very like, they weren't expecting it. I mean, no, sure. I, I don't think any, and nobody expected, it. I don't even think my OB she, she even said to me, like, months later, she goes, you are the first young woman I ever had to make that phone call for. 
Yeah. So like I've never had to make that phone call before. She's like, you know, in college, medical school, they teach you how to do all these things. They don't teach you how to make that phone call. No. And, and I agree and with that. I thought she did it very well. And she was like, it, I, I spoke at an event and I was talking about it and she was like, oh, it made me feel so good that you thought that I did that well because that was my first time. Oh, good. Yeah. I do have to say that it's one of those things that um, they don't necessarily, and I suppose maybe if you don't already have a bedside manner to begin with, you're not going to have one as a doctor. Um, mm-hmm. But I used to do trainings in Pittsburgh um, with the, uh, I don't know, the program at Pitt and uh, I would go in and I would talk. And one of the things I would talk about is just the approach of delivering that kind of news to Mm -hmm. um, somebody because I felt like the way that I had gotten my news was just extremely inappropriate and not okay. Um, Mm. You know, so I'm glad that, you know, even if it was a phone call that she handled that really well. Um, And that becomes your story, right? That becomes your narrative that you tell for years and years and years. Yes. This is how I got the news. And like, that'll always be a part of you. Even if they do it wrong and they apologize, it's like, this is with me for life now. Well, there was no apology, but that's okay. Oh, (laughs) I'm always trying to find the good in people. I know, you were, and I love it. I love it. Um, But yeah, there was was no apology. Um, So what, um, what were the recommendations? I mean, you were, you were stage three, so it's, it's progressed, you know, pretty far and, um, you know, the lumps are big and so, you know, you're thinking, I remember thinking like, we got to be like very early stage because I always checked myself, you know, and I just found this lump and I meet with, um, the breast surgeon that the gynecologist set me up with and she was wonderful. Um, but she was like, she was on her game and she, um, it, it was, it was hard news. I don't think, I don't think you're going to feel all warm and fuzzy when you're meeting the doctor for the first time and they're going over your, you know, your diagnosis. And I just remembered like, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily like not like her, but I didn't like feel warm and fuzzy about her. And I was like, Oh God, you know, and so she became, you know, the doctor that I kind of like stressed when I saw, oh, no. um, she, um, she said, uh, pretty much, uh, double mastectomy. Um, she pulled up, um, what was it? My results and said, um, it's at least stage two, three right now. And I'm like, Oh my God. And then like all this stuff is like going so fast. And they're like, we're going to need to put a port in your chest. And one more thing we need to talk about, uh, your egg preservation. Mm, I knew it was coming. You don't have time to do egg preservation. Yeah. Because this cancer is moving very fast. And like when she said stage like three, two, three, I was like, no, that's like too close to four. And four is like the end. Like, no, like, like, like there's no way. And I was there with my mom and my husband and I'm like crying and I feel like I'm dying. And I'm like, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I just want to live. And they're, and they, uh, I go to speak them to the nurse navigator and she's like, 
you know, she's like, oh, everyone write down what we're saying because as soon as she leaves the office, she's not going to remember anything. She was right. <laughs> yeah. And they were saying that like, oh, you can, they were like, we can't, we can't tell you what to do, but um, you don't have time to preserve your eggs. And I was like, you know what? That's fine. Like me and my husband, we've married um, for six years at this point. Okay. And we, we never really cared about having kids. Um, we were very like career driven and, you know, build our, you know, be successful and build our empire together and, you know, and just enjoy each other and like travel. Like we always traveled, um, a couple of places a year. And so like kids were just like, if it happens, it happens. It wasn't a part of, you know, our plan or our, our story together. So was so, it okay with you or did you yes, still struggle? So that was okay. fine. That was fine. And plus I was like, I don't, procreating isn't even a thought right now. I'm like, I want to live. You're telling right. me that, you know, and um, to find out that, you know, I have something called triple negative, which I don't, she didn't necessarily touch on. All I know is that I have this stage two, three diagnosis and they're, re- they're recommending to remove the breast um, I end up seeing, so this is an interesting story. So I was, I was supposed to see an oncologist she works with very closely, who is my oncologist now, but he wasn't originally because he was out of the country on, on vacation. So I had to see his partner. And so me and my husband go in his office and, he sits down and he was like, um, you have something called triple negative breast cancer and this, this is what a breast cancer cell looks like and, you know, and this is the, the plan we're going to do for you. We're going to do chemo and we're going to do surgery and then we're going to do radiation. And I was like, okay. And then he was very knowledgeable and he's explaining like, with the, the negative receptors and, and, and how it works with breast cancer and my type of breast cancer. And then he goes, I just want to let you know, people die from what you have. Oh, oh no, 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 I, mm. And I was mm. like, uh, what? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said people die from what I have. And I said, well, you're not going to let me die. Are you? And he goes, I'll do my best. And like, how I good is like your best? How good is crumble. your best? Crumble. I yeah. just crumble. And it was oh like, you gosh. need, now you need <sighs> to get a MUGA scan, a PET scan, and you need to go get your tumor markers done. And we go across the hall and I'm just like, you know, I don't know if the, a lot of these doctors don't realize, but their choice of words are so important because yes. whether, whether they stay your doctor, they don't, or years later, we replay what these doctors say to us yes. over and over in our head. And the fact that I'm talking about this two years later, that this doctor said this to me, like, is like tattooed on my soul. You will talk about it when it's 13, 15, uh-huh. mm-hmm. 20 years later. It forever stays with you. Forever. And if there, and- is, if there are any doctors that are listening... And I hope that there are. That is a very important point that you make because that stuff truly does stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So from then, I was terrified to talk to this guy, terrified to be with this guy. I needed to have somebody with me at all times. So I go to see him before I get my port put in. Um, I ended up uh, reaching out to the nurse navigator of my breast surgeon who uh, I, I told her what happened and what he said to me and how like upset that made me. And so me and my mother go to see him in his office and we get a totally different version of this doctor. And he's all smiling and he's hugging me and like he's showing me, um, he's showing me my PET scan and like how all the cancer that's like lit up on, on the screen and all this stuff. And like, was like, if you need anything and, and it was like a different guy, it was a totally different guy. And I text my nurse navigator and I tell her, she goes, yeah, your breast surgeon lit him up. And I was like, oh, my God, that made me so happy that, like, I had this, like, awesome woman breast surgeon, like, kicking ass and taking names for her <laughs> patients. And it just, you know, yeah. it, it felt so good. And um, it's important. It wasn't shortly after that that he dropped the ball again. Oh. Um, he wasn't returning my phone calls. I had no idea when I was supposed to start chemo I couldn't remember I was like is it this week or next week or what's going on like you know your chemo brain starts so much earlier than I mean it's starting chemo you know it's helpful when you show up right like it's important like for you to show and up I'm, on the right day and time and if you don't know then yeah, yeah. you should be able and I'm to rely like calling his office and he's not calling me back and my mom called so we called three or four times never got a phone call um, I get a phone call from the hospital saying, see you tomorrow. And I was like, well, I'm glad somebody is <laughs> calling me and letting Guess me know tomorrow. what's going on. Yeah. And then he, and then the, uh, the pre-meds that he ordered the, uh, you know, like the steroids and the nausea, um, pills that they, that the doctor orders you for like after, um, chemo starts, uh, he ordered the wrong quantity. <sighs> And I was like, you know what? I said, I'm done with this guy. I yeah. reached out to the nurse navigator. I said, I am done with this guy. I was supposed to have this other doctor. And this other doctor is the head of the oncology in my hospital. And I said, when, when you say his name, people drop everything. And so I'm like, he was always supposed to be my doctor. So I want him to be my doctor. So I ended up firing my first oncologist on my first day at chemo, yep. which my, my chemo nurses were like, that's never, that's never happened. They're like, Oh, you have so-and-so. I was like, no, not anymore. And they're like, Oh, that's never happened here before. And I'm like, well, there's a first time for everything. That's it. And you've got to do what you got to do for you. Like if it's not a right fit, if it's not good, then you have to make changes. And that's that. And he wasn't okay with this. He was not okay with Doesn't being matter. fired off my case because he made sure to come visit me at my first chemo and confront me. That's okay. Doesn't matter. He waited for the nurse <laughs> to walk out of the room. My husband was there. He did not care. And he comes in and he goes, so I hear you're going to so-and-so. 
And I was like, are you confronting a patient at their first chemo? (laughs) I'm like, shame on you. And then my nurse comes back with the chemo and she goes, he was standing outside their room the whole time listening to us talk. She's like, like, I've been a nurse for 25 years. I've never experienced such a thing before. Yeah, that's... But again, it speaks volumes but that, of that him. Make, that's part of my story, though, right? right? So, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Not only did this guy tell me that, you know, this disease is going to kill me and what he did. And, you know, it's funny. Um, he went to do a lecture. We're talking about, what was this? This year. He was supposed to do a lecture with my current oncologist. And I was like, you know what? I should go. I'm going to go to this, bring some tomatoes, and be like, guess who's still here, baby? Guess who's still here? And because coronavirus, it got canceled. But I would have been there with my tomatoes, you know, like the Muppets. Yeah. (laughs) So what did you do? Um, So you did have the the bilateral mastectomy. Did did you opt for reconstruction or did you stay Yes. Okay. Yes, I did. I I had a uh, nipple sparing, skin sparing, uh, double mastectomy. Okay. Um, with under the muscle, which, whew, that that was not fun. No, I I don't wish that on under the muscle surgery on anybody. Yeah, I've heard. Um, did you do radiation before or after? Um. So we did the 16 chemos first. I did adriamycin, cytoxin, taxol, and carboplatin. Mm-hmm. And then I did the uh, double mastectomy. Um, I had expanders under the muscle. Okay. We inflated um, We inflated them for a while. Um, what was it? And then we did radiation. I did 28 rounds of radiation. Um my surgery was kind of interesting. Um, so after I finished the chemo, my doctor, so my, my breast surgeon says you need to have, um, a breast MRI scan to see, you know, what the chemo did. Mm -hmm. But this is the lady that I told you, like, I liked her as a doctor, but she scared me because she would, she would just, she would give you the honest truth. Right. And, my oncologist would fluff it up and I just love that about him. Like I need you to like make everything sound like not as bad as it is. And so I remember like at my last chemo and I go to my oncologist and I was like, she ordered the scan, but I want you to tell me what it says. And he's like, we can do that. I I said, if you, if you look at this scan and be like, Kelly, we need to take off your right arm. And I would be like, okay. But if she said it, I would like lose my mind. And he's like, okay, okay, this is this is what we're gonna do. And um, so we do the scan, and I go see my oncologist, and he's smiling ear to ear, and he's like, you had a complete response. There is no cancer. It doesn't look like there's any cancer in the lymph nodes or the breast. We got it. He was like, wow. I knew we were. He said to me like when he was on my case, he was like. He looked at what the original oncologist said. He goes like, he might be able to get a home run with his plan, but with my plan, we're gonna hit a, uh, we're gonna knock it out of the park. 
And so he goes, Kelly, we knocked it out of the park. Yeah. And so I was like, awesome. And, you know, celebrate with your friends and your family. And you're like, all right, let me, you know, go into the surgery. And I go into the surgery. Oh, so I'm like jumping all over the place. I go to see the breast surgeon and I'm feeling good because I already know what what the result says. Mm -hmm. And she goes, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens at surgery. Don't get too excited. And I was like, what the heck? Like this lady, it just gives me PTSD all the time. And would you believe she was right? Like this woman has never been wrong. Like I just want her to just grab my hand and be like, read my future. Like what else is going to happen to me? Because everything that she's always said to me, whether I wanted to hear it or not, was like spot on. So they removed both my breasts and there was no cancer in the breast tissue. Fantastic. But in the lymph nodes, there was, but it wasn't triple negative they found. They found estrogen positive cancer in my lymph nodes. And I just lose it. And I go to see my oncologist and he turns white as a ghost and he holds his head in his hands. And I look at my mom and my, my oncologist is very like uplifting and positive. And I'm, my mom goes, oh, this isn't good. Yeah. So what does that mean? Like- and he looks at me and he goes, did they explain this to you? And I was like, how does this happen? He goes, you have cancer cloners that decided to have a second mutation and change the DNA of some huh. of the triple negative cells into estrogen so when you're receiving chemotherapy for triple negative and your body has a second mutation to estrogen the estrogen can live throughout the chemotherapy and so so the good part is the good part is estrogen is slow growing cancer and so by the time they found it it was still it was still low grade right so, and so cancer cells yeah. are tricky like that. I mean, I have a, Oh yeah. I have a they friend. They don't want to die. They want to thrive, baby. They do. That's for sure. And I, so I have a friend that I recently interviewed on the podcast and she has had three different types of breast cancer. Um, it's been triple positive, triple negative, and only ERPR positive. That, and you know, for that reason, it's so important for all of us to be so well educated yes. in the different types of breast cancer because just because I'm triple negative now and God forbid I get a recurrence doesn't mean it's going to be a recurrence of triple negative. It right. could be estrogen cancer and we can go from triple negative to triple positive to HER2 negative. Like, yeah, and I didn't know that changes. Right. Yeah. And I had no idea. I mean, I, I just thought like, you know, if it ever, if there was ever a recurrence, it would be the exact same thing as what it is now. So I didn't know, like, I find that so fascinating that these little cancer cells are so freaking smart. They, they refer to um, it as clonal evolution. Yeah. Well, because I, rem- when I got this, I, you know, I went to certain support groups and at the hospital and I would go to these like meetups and I was just like, did anyone ever have like a cancer cloner? No, no, just me. Okay, cool. You know, and (laughs) so party of one, (laughs) I did a lot of research to, to kind of like, I want to learn about this. Like I want to see like what's going on. And, um, 
you know, I, I learned that, you know, yeah. it's uh, referred to as clone evolution and these things happen and it's very rare that they happen, but they do happen. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's fascinating to me. So one of the things that you mentioned was going to support groups. Um, and I happened to follow you on Instagram and I had seen a post that you had made. And um, from that post, that's when I reached out and said, Hey, I want to have you on my podcast because I want to talk about this topic and have a discussion because you brought up a really valid point. And um, the, basically what it boils down to is, um, you know, there are a lot of us who are diagnosed either in our adolescence or young adult. And young adulthood is defined as anyone who's under the age of 40. Mm-hmm. And the post that you made was, stop kicking us out of the AYA groups. Mm-hmm. And it hit a nerve for me. And so, you know, I, I want to have this discussion in hopes that there are organizations that are out there that are listening to this or even individuals that can have some influence on that. Because I feel very strongly that even at the age of 41, 42, like I, I wouldn't fit into a traditional support group. Mm-hmm. So I would love to have like a talk about this. Let's do it. It's happening. <laughs> yeah. So what prompted you to make that post? Well, it's year 2020 and year of coronavirus. <laughs> and, you know, I'm very used to like going out and going to events and conferences and, you know, talking to people and breast cancer thrivers. And because of COVID, none of this has been happening. And so the wonderful breast cancer community that is on Instagram, I decided to send out a story and was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing a Zoom, if you guys want to join and talk and just, you know, just support each other and just, you know, whatever's on your mind, let's let's get together and let's heal together. And so I started doing these weekly Zooms and they were fantastic. And we ended up having a group chat on Instagram. And um, if anything's bothering anybody, they just like, hey, gang, this is going on. And uh, one of the girls in the group said who, who actually she had, um, she's a two time cancer survivor. She had, um, cervical cancer very young. Um, I think in her early twenties and, um, she had breast cancer in her thirties. And so she was involved in AYA cancer community and she was going to like just join a, like a, a zoom. It was all like virtual and I believe because she was turning 40, they notified her that she can no longer partake in these kinds of events and support for her. And she was very upset. And when she, when I read her messages, I actually just got done exercising. So I had like the endorphins pumping and I was like, what? No, someone's not messing up with like one of my, my tribe people. And like, so 
I, I grabbed my phone like, like I do when I'm feeling like red hot and I just talked to it and I was like, this isn't okay. And you know, like I was like, you know what? I feel inspired to make a post about this. And I feel that, you know, when we get cancer at a young age and we have to do all these extra things that women at cancer age don't have to do, like a lot, our treatments are a lot more aggressive. Right. Um, A lot of women, because they're at um, surveillance age, they're finding their breast cancer at stage zero or maybe stage one, and they are catching it early enough. They can just like do like a nip tuck and maybe some radiation, but a lot of them aren't going through what we go through um, with the chemo and losing the hair and shaving the head and, and doing all these things. And, um, besides all that, like being a young woman, like some, some of us are married, some of us aren't. And some of us have children and some of us don't. And before we even can begin our cancer journeys, we have to like talk about all the things and egg preservation and, and, you know, we can we can even afford the storage for that. It's, it just, it just goes so deep. So, you know, we learn at a young age how fragile life is and how lucky we are to be alive and how every year is a gift. When people complain about getting older, we're like, thank God I got to see another year. Like, I think, I think I made a post once I said, um, they, they fight to stay young and we fight to grow old. True. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, our, 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 our battle's a little different. Well, it's um, very different. I would say, and certainly I don't ever want to minimize anybody's experience with cancer ever. Um, because it is, it doesn't matter what age anybody is. It's very life altering, but the circumstances, yeah. And the circumstances are just completely different from somebody, you know, who, again, you know, maybe they're married, maybe they've already had their kids, you know, they've, they've gone through that point in life where some of us are just getting that diagnosis. Yeah. Like they've already had that experience. And, and some of these, these poor girls are, you know, they're, they're not married and they don't have like significant others. And like, how do you tell your, like, how do you date again after cancer? Right. Like, how do you tell them you're missing body parts? Oh, it's not easy. I wasn't, you know, like, these are like, (laughs) these are like conversations. And it's like, um, if, you know, if you get cancer at cancer age, you know, and if you're lucky to have a partner and like already like married, like that's already established. But like, how do we, it, it breaks my heart when I hear these young girls that are like 20 or 21, 22, like are getting breast cancer. And, um, if they're testing positive for a genetic mutation, they're removing ovaries and doing moving breasts and doing all this stuff. And, um, yeah, that, that could get in the way of, you know, someone may not want to be with someone like that. Someone might not want to be right. with someone that has a pre-existing condition such as cancer and they have to, you know, going forward, they have to worry that, you know, something could pop up again yeah. for them. I get it. I fit all of those things. 
Every <laughs> single one of them, except I wasn't diagnosed in my 20s. But I think <sighs> it's, you know, it's one of those things where even at the age of, you know, 39, 40, um, some people still aren't married. Excuse me. At what, um, at what point do you, do you do the cutoff? You know, well, and that's, that's the whole thing is, you know, if, so what, you know, what is it about being 40 or 41 makes us fit into a different category? Like I still, I don't know, like I'm a believer that like the forties are the, like the new thirties and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like, I, I still feel like I would, if I were attending support groups, I would be struggling with making connections to the people who, at least when I was going, the people who were attending. Like I was, when I was diagnosed, I would say that I was probably, you know, 25, 30 years younger than most of the people in the room. And if that mm-hmm. is the case, you know, still even at my age, in my 40s, I don't know that I can make those connections at the same in the same way um, as somebody who's, you know, 65. Like it just, I, I, I think you make a great point. And I know there are a lot of organizations out there that do great things for AYA populations. I think, I think that for the most part, these organizations take care of their people, but there are some out there that don't but what's what's with the 40 because 40 is actually still young to have breast cancer because why is that because they're not giving mammograms until technically 45 and and next year it'll be 50 well that's what i was just gonna say last i i'm always reading about breast cancer because i'm a nerd like that but they want to push it and i remember i was watching the news and i was like who in the what now? Like, what? <laughs> like, we're trying. No, like, no, no, you can't do that. But yeah, like 40 is still young. And I think give it to the patient yes. to say who they most align with. Right. Like, there, it, it's, I don't, to, to have a group of very young people with cancer and people that are older at cancer age there's a middle area that's not being satisfied. Well, that's it. And that's right where you I'm know? falling. So if anything were to happen right now, and I, you know, hoping not, obviously, you know, but if I ended up with another diagnosis right at this point, I don't know where I would go. I don't, I wouldn't fit in anywhere. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, and I agree. I think it has to, I think we should be leaving it up to the patient. And we're having children older now, right? People are having children at 40 years old. Right. So like, how are you going to say I fit in with the 50 year olds? They already had their kids. I don't fit in with them. And maybe I don't necessarily fit in with the 20 year olds either. So like, we need to have like, what do we need to do? Like, like, but I think you should make it up. Give, give that decision to the patient not how do you know how I feel how do you know who I most align with right I mean I feel like so you know adolescence is teenage years right Mm -hmm. so if I can connect 
if I am in my 30s and I can connect with a teenager, I feel like, you know, in my, like, it might be a little bit hard pressed for me in my 40s to connect with a teenager. Although I work in education, so I feel like I still could. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where because my experience was so young, I may actually be able to make that connection with a teenager to say, these are the things that I experienced. These are mm-hmm. the, you know, and, and, you know, having gone through the experience a little bit later, you know, just providing some insight for them. But I feel like I could still connect to teenagers better than I could connect to somebody who might be a little bit older, who, you know, they've, they've had their kids and, um, you know, they, they just were in a different time frame of their life when they had that diagnosis. You know, now if it's somebody who was, who is say 50 now, and they were diagnosed when they were 35, 38, I could make that connection. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, do you, would you agree with that? Like, do you feel that same way or you like, feel like you could not? Um, yes. I just think that like, if we're going to have separate groups, it needs to be, there needs to be more selection versus very young and much older. Yeah. I think we're really missing. they're, they're, They're two totally different ends on the spectrum. Right. Yeah. I think there has to be a place and for people. people. There's people that don't feel connected to either. Right. Right? Right. <laughs> well, and that's and what I was going to say. There has to and be. And they still need support. Yes. There has to be a group that is for, you know, 40 to 60. 40 to 60. There has to be some I space even, for them to go. I feel, you know, and it's like. Even if you're 40, 45, you're still going to be the youngest person at the oncology waiting room, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> always that chance. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so it's, but we've got to stop kicking them out. Yeah. I mean, no, I think I, that I, at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to is we have got to stop kicking them out. Because when it comes to their 40th birthday, that young breast cancer, there's, that young breast cancer trauma doesn't age. No. Right? Like we they're still they're still there and, and depending on what they what type of support they need at their at whatever point they are in their life, in their healing, in their journey, they still need it to be lifted up and not kicked out. Right. And it's almost to the fact that I feel like, wow, like I, I got this cancer at such a young age and, and the chance of me getting this was so low and I beat it and I'm thriving after my cancer diagnosis and I'm appreciating every single year, but don't thrive too much now. Yeah. Like don't, don't, don't do too well because then you, you're going to get the boot. Right. Yeah. Don't, and, don't and, go over 40. <laughs> Like, like you're pun, like you're punishing us for for doing right. well. That sounds a little silly, right? Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I like I said, I saw your post and I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is, and and I told you, you know, at the before we even started recording, I haven't gone to a support group in a very long time. I am no longer in that space, 
but still, even at my age, which I'm over 40, and I'm not going to tell too many people my age, but, um, you know, I'm over 40 and like, I still, like, it still hit a nerve with me. Like it Mm -hmm. just hit me right at my core. And I was like, yes, yes. Like this, this isn't like mean girls cancer, right? Like you can't sit with this anymore, right? right? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. This is our lunch table, not yours. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you, you just moved on up out of here. No, no, it's, it's not cool because cancer is really isolating and debilitating and we're not the same person after. And a lot of people don't understand, especially if they've never been in our shoes and then you're going to dismiss us right that's no it's not okay and it's got to stop and it's got to be this sort of thing needs to be listened to and the people that are making these decisions chances are they're they never had cancer right so it's important to actually if you really truly care about cancer patients and the people that you're serving you need to listen to them and listen to their needs and and if you're not doing something that's not working for them, you gotta, you gotta bend the rules and, and do something or think of another, uh, way to integrate, integrate these, these people into the next stage of their thrivership. Yes. 100%. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> well, I think, I think that is actually the perfect way to end our time together. I just want to tell you that I've enjoyed so much talking to you. Um, I love your energy and your spunk. And I love the fact that you personally have started to fulfill a need that you had seen for other people by starting the Zoom phone calls. Um, I think that is fantastic. So again, I've appreciated our time together. Um, I know our listeners are going to get so much out of this and hopefully some people who are able to make decisions regarding AYA groups. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.